0: We're continuing our study in Philippians, um, walking through um, kind of this famous passage. Um, Kirsten says it's one of her favorites, Um, and I think it's probably one that we know pretty well, which makes sometimes it harder for us to understand what it's saying. Um, So let's just look again at what Paul has said um, he wants to do. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. So his hope is to kind of turn us back to Jesus and help us to know him and in that place to find joy. I think what he's doing is uh, setting up a, a dichotomy. And he's saying the things that might keep us from joy in Jesus, and la- last week Jerry talked about this really well, um, was th- this confidence in the flesh, confidence in my ability to be like God. Um, in my legalistic self-righteousness. Um, so he talks about that, and he talks about how he, Paul, had more reason than anyone to put confidence in himself, what he was able to do, but that that was loss compared to knowing Christ. Um, so I want us to enter into that again before we move on to what else Paul has to say for us and kind of imagine how what that looks like in our own lives, this little imaginative exercise. I'm going to read a list for you. It's just a fun list that I made up. Um, we all have our own lists of things that we put confidence in. And as I say things, if, it's, if it resonates with you, I want you to imagine you've got a pile, a pile of gold coins. And for each one that resonates with you, just imagine yourself putting another gold coin on the pile. So you're, you're thinking about your pile. All right. So here are the things that you might put confidence in. You probably drive... Better than everyone else. You've got that going for you, right? You don't change lanes without using your, your turning signals. You don't text and drive, so you've got going, that going for you, right? When you look over at the person next to you at the stoplight, that's not you, so you've got that going for you. Um, you don't talk in the movie theater. You're nice to your neighbors. Um, you have them over for dinner. Um, you give money to those in need, or you share a meal with someone who can't buy one for themselves. Maybe you don't watch R-rated movies. You, you don't drink. You don't smoke. You don't uh, listen to Taylor Swift. Um, maybe maybe that's just a matter of choice. Or, or or maybe your kids don't know the words to Taylor Swift songs. Um, you're you're a good friend. Um, you're a good father good mother, a good sister, a good brother, a good son, a good daughter you do your quiet time every day um, so those are obviously, we, I could keep going and keep going and um, but maybe there are other things that you, you right, n- notice yourself uh, finding your, your righteousness in or patting yourself on the back for and if you can think of something, add another coin to the pile for that thing and I want you to imagine your pile. And how big is it in your mind's eye? How big is your pile? Um, is it sizable? Vast? Is it small? Embarrassingly small? Average? You probably know where I'm going with this. Is that last week, alright, these things are loss compared to knowing Jesus. Um, but Paul takes it much, much further than just these things that we find are our righteousness in. So I want you to imagine um, something a little bit bigger than your pile of gold, a a vast airplane hanger, right, that you can fit anything in there, right? Bigger than normal, you could fit fit the Pentagon into this airplane hanger, right? And what you're going to do is you're going to put your pile of gold into the airplane hanger with you, right? But then you're also going to put all the good things in your life in that airplane hanger, all the things that are profitable, so your job, right? it helps you provide for yourself and for your family, maybe. So that's in the airplane hangar with you. Your family, your friends, your education, your car, your TV, your clothes, your vacation to Yuma, or somewhere nicer than that, maybe. Uh, your, your DVD and Blu-ray and music collection, your phone, your hobbies, the internet, the things that make you comfortable, your house, your pets. Can you imagine all of those things in the airplane hangar with you? Um, all those things that are good in your life. Um, um, maybe there's even, if you, have, if you invest in gold, maybe there's an actual pile of gold next to your gold of righteousness. Um, so I'm going to read the rest, read our passage now, and uh, you'll get where I'm going. the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul is uh, using some, some analogies here He's talking about profit and loss and gain. And so I want us to imagine that Paul has this vast airplane hangar. Well, he probably didn't, doesn't know what an airplane is. So it's not a, I mean, it's just a barn, right? It's this barn of profit. Um, and he's detailing to everyone all these things that are in his barn that are good, that are to his profit. And so um, we're going to do a little T chart. Um, and so on the one side of profit, last week we talked about this. this he's got his pile of gold. That's his self-righteousness. Um, but he doesn't end there. Right? Paul has other good things in his life. Um, he's got his friends and his family and his tent-making business. Um, you know, maybe he didn't have it now, but at one point he's had health and comfort. Um, he had life. He actually died before, <laughs> um, if you re- depending on how you read it. He had his freedom. Remember that Paul is in prison at this moment. So, and, and, and other things that are possibly in this prophet column. Um, so imagine that Paul is looking at his barn, right? And he's like, these things are great. And then Jesus comes and taps him on the shoulder. And he turns from his barn and he looks at Jesus. Um, and he's amazed. And he's, he says, wow, I want to know him. And, so he tur- and then he turns around and he looks at his barn full of good things, and he says, no, this isn't profit compared to, to Jesus. This is loss. Um, and so if you look, the the profit goes from profit to loss, and gain, well, it's actually worse than just loss, right? Jesus, or Paul doesn't just say that these things are, are loss. They're actually rubbish, is what he says. They're actually trash, um, For the sake of knowing Jesus, Um, he says, "I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things." What stands out to me about this, um, when he when he goes on, is that Paul is doing. You know, if if he's an economist, I don't think this. What he's doing is. a hard look at the numbers, right? And looking at where what is more profitable—that uh, all of these other things in my life are give me twenty percent return on investment, but Jesus gives me a twenty-two percent return on my investment, and so that two percent makes it worth it, right? But I'm going to keep track of the numbers, and if it doesn't, if it ever switches, then I'll, I'll be back. I'll be back over to this other stuff. No, he looks at his his stuff, and he says it's rubbish. Um, For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. The word that he uses for rubbish would have been a word um, for garbage that you throw out, throw out into the street. In other translations, it's translated as dung or filth. Um, And the idea that you know, remember who he called the people that mutilate the flesh? He says, those dogs. Well, the rubbish that you throw out in the street is only fit for dogs to eat. Right? That's, what it's, you know, that's what the dogs would eat. And so it's sort of like, that's an emotional picture. These things, everything, it's just worth it for the dogs to eat. It's, I can't even consider it anymore. How is that possible? I ask you to think of the, everything in his life that might be good and to look at Jesus and to say, wow, he is so much better that everything else is rubbish. Um, So we're going to talk about that and try to understand how how we could say it's so much better to know Jesus. Um, Some things are easy uh, to say. Well, no, that's obviously not as good as knowing Jesus. Um, Jerry talked about this the immediate reward that comes from our own self-righteousness, right? That that kind of pat on the back that we can get that when we think highly of ourselves, right? So when somebody else changes lanes without using their turning signal, and you know that that's not the kind of person that you are, and you you feel that warmth welling up inside of you. I don't maybe it's not that, but it's something. You feel something and it's sort of like, yeah, I'm not that. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not that guy good job, you, right? And then you know how, how fleeting that can be um, and how that's not worth holding on to that. You know, Jesus is better than that because you know that later on you might actually do the same thing and change lanes and not use your turning signal. Um, so we can say, no, yeah, I get, I get how that kind of self-righteousness or maybe even like trying to do good works might not be good compared to knowing Jesus. Um, but what about everything? So I was trying to find an example that everyone could relate to, and I thought about, well, how could being a good friend be rubbish compared to knowing Jesus? Um, right? Because there's so much good in being a good friend. Um, so your faithful love for a friend might have a huge impact on their life. Right? You might help someone know Jesus more. You might help them know that they have gifts that God wants them to use, and you might help them be a blessing to others. That's an amazing thing. You might be there in the midst of the hard times. In the same way, you might open yourself up to them and enable them to love you well, to write on the book of your life and have that partnership and that that love together with your friend. Um how could that be rubbish? Um, but imagine, and I think you probably have thought, thought this, um, it's kind of a similar thing um, to the, the self-righteousness, but you could start to look at your friendships and say, wow, I am a good friend. And then that feeling of warmth and, and righteousness might enter your heart. And so you might subtly shift um, your focus from loving your friends to loving yourself through loving your friend. And now you might say to yourself, have I been a good enough friend lately? Um, I haven't called them in a while. Um, they invited me out to dinner, and I blew them off. Um, you know, they, they struggle with this thing, and I, I saw them the other day, and they're struggling with it again. And uh, have I been praying for them enough? Have I been there for them enough? And suddenly, this thing that was good can become this source of pain for you. Um, might become loss for you, because how could you ever be a good enough friend for for there to be lasting self righteousness in that? Right for that confidence in your own good friendness. Um, because when I look at my own friendships, it's a mixed bag. There are things that I've done to love my friends well. But there are times when I've stabbed them in the back and I've let them down, um, I gossiped about them, um, and didn't love them well. And so are my friendships a profit or a loss? And that can become a real question. Um, the thing that stands out to me is that Paul is writing this letter from jail. And he's lost his freedom for the sake of knowing Jesus. And he's facing the very real possibility of losing his life for Jesus. Um, And I think it's easy on one level to say, well, that's what I should think too. I should think that losing my life and losing my freedom even would be worth it for the sake of knowing Jesus. And sometimes I think we fall into this trap of hearing it so much that we should think that way, that we think that we do think it. Well, I, vow, I know that in my head, so I think, well, we make the mistake of thinking that we actually believe that and we'd be willing to, to say, to count our own lives as rubbish for the sake of knowing Jesus. And, um, I just want us to, to think about that. Do we really think that? What would it look like to act as though our own life weren't? worth it compared to knowing Jesus. That's really hard to try and help people understand that, but I'm going to try. Um, So I want you to imagine that you're Paul, and the first time that you're experiencing the powerful love of Jesus, right, is on the road to Damascus to kill his people, or at least take his people into into prison and to, to stop them from following Jesus. And in that place of opposition to Jesus, Jesus shows up. And he says, why are you doing this to me? And in a way, you have a real encounter with God. And your own self-righteousness didn't get you to this encounter with God. God just showed up and gave it to you. And so you're excited about that. And you're saying, well, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And you're going to go. And he goes into the synagogues of Damascus and starts preaching that Jesus is the Christ and telling the Jews about Jesus. And they're amazed because this is a guy that's supposed to come and lock up the people that are preaching about Jesus. And the Jews plot to kill him. And he finds out about it. And they let him down through a basket, through a hole in the wall. And then, right at that point, there's this choice that he faces, I think. Um, he's, he's trying to save his own life. And right? he's moving in that direction. And he's saying, well, is knowing Jesus worth them killing me? Because I can assume that if I go somewhere else and find continue to, go, to do God's work, Jesus' work, that it they might do this again, and I might die. Um, so there's two choices, and there's one that is valuing his own life, and there's one that's valuing Jesus and to continuing to be with him and to, to know him, and out of that, to serve others and to tell other people about him. Um, and Paul chooses to lay down his life. And I don't want to give the impression that he doesn't make this decision every moment of every day. But I'm trying to put it in stark terms to kind of understand what, how Paul might be thinking about it. Because Paul's in prison kind of at the end of his ministry, and he can look back at how the decision to count his own life as rubbish, what that impact has been, his impact on the ancient world, and in turn upon the modern world, really can't be known this side of heaven But think about how many people were delivered from demonic possession. How many people were healed of their diseases? How many people were forgiven of their sins and given a life of hope and righteousness with God? How many cities did he plant churches in, and those cities were transformed? How many nations were changed because of his decision to know Jesus? One of the reasons that knowing Jesus is better than life for Paul is because it means that countless lives have been transformed, and that Paul is continu- his letter to the Philippians is inviting them to that same kind of life. Know Jesus, because when you know Jesus, your life multiplies in its power to transform others. Right? Isn't that what we want? We want influence. We want worth. We want to love others. Um, but when we hold on to it, uh, it becomes smaller and it becomes less. But when we, when we give it away and we count our lives as rubbish compared to Jesus, the impact um, is infinite in many ways. Um, I've experienced some small... Um, sense of what this reality is um my my job is is ministry and i do it because i love to tell people about the power of jesus to to transform them and to to love them um one of the one of the uh, things that i can hold on to in that right and to kind of the temptation to uh away from knowing jesus can be my own uh value in the eyes of students, um, and kind of wanting them to see me like a Paul, right, like this great minister of the gospel, Um, and it can be easy to do that, um, for one, because I'm older than they are, and I've had more time to uh, know Jesus and study the word, and so it's like easy to sound smart sometimes, um, or wise sometimes sometimes. Um, but yesterday we were doing this thing with new, new leaders and uh, inviting them to experience the healing of Jesus or the, the love of Jesus in the parts of their hearts that are broken and they usually try to hide from other people, right? Because Jesus wants us to know his love and his healing in every part of us, not just the surface things. And the students were sharing and then, you know, I was, I was last to go. And it's kind of like, well, what, what do I share? Do I hold on to this? Self-righteousness, right? Um, what would it mean uh, for me? It would be, well, it's, it, I would look good. Um, but if I can share my own brokenness and count my self-righteousness or even how other people see me as rubbish, then the impact on others is that when they look at me, they don't see a, a goal to achieve. They see, oh, He needs the power of Jesus too. I should not strive after my own self-righteousness. I should receive what God has to give me. I shouldn't put confidence in the flesh or confidence in myself. I should put my confidence in the healing power of Jesus. And I don't do that perfectly. But in some small way, I want to count what I've achieved as rubbish so that others can know Jesus better. And I think we all have that ability to you, you probably recognize that temptation in your own heart to, tr- to want to look good. And what God can do through an open book as opposed to a uh, one that's closed off and not easy to read, is powerful. All right. We're going to talk about that talk about this a little bit more, but we're going to continue on, because Paul says, "I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ." and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's interesting, there, there's this sort of shifting of tenses. Right? Paul has said, I, I count everything as laws compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, but I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And there's sort of like a nut, like it's happening now. I am found in Jesus now. But there's also this sense of movement. I'm moving forward always to knowing Jesus and to be found in him and to be not having a righteousness of my own, but having the righteousness um, that is of, from Jesus, from God, through faith in Christ um, and so I want us to talk about why, why is Paul constantly moving forward right, and not resting. He wants to know Jesus more and more. He wants to actively deny his own righteousness and actively receive the righteousness of God. Um, the righteousness that comes from the law that is of ourselves is not lasting. I, I build Lego towers or Duplo towers with my kids, right? And you think of it as my own righteousness is sort of like a Duplo tower, right? And the trouble with a Duplo tower is that the taller it gets, the less sturdy it is. Um, and I think we feel that in some way with our, own, with our own righteousness, is that one thing wrong and it'll come crashing down, right? Will the next brick be the one that knocks over the Duplo Tower. Um, And so, um, I have another metaphor for us in considering our own righteousness. Um, It's finals are coming, and I remember my time um, as a student when finals were coming and kind of wanting them to be over, right? You know, that feeling of just, oh gosh, do I really have to do this? I've got all this studying and my grades are going to rest on my performance here, all right? And there's just this stress. And maybe you, it's been too long and you don't remember what that's like, but you think about um, a, a project at work or a, a big event coming up in your life that requires you to get a lot done and just that feeling of stress and feeling of I've got to do so much to get ready for this. And then as the date gets closer, that feeling of can it just be over? Um, I'm tired of doing this and like... I'm a procrastinator, so for me that's sort of amplified the closer that you get to, closer that you get to something big. Um, and I think that gives us another way of looking at our own, our own righteousness. I don't want to be found in Christ with my own righteousness because it's just stressful. right? It's just horrible to look at everything in my life and think, I've got to keep all the plates spinning. I've got to keep the balls up in the air. It's just, can I let them drop? Can I be found in Jesus? Um, having God's righteousness that I don't have to do anything for. So contrast the feeling of being before finals to the feeling of being after finals and knowing that you aced all your tests, right? Or you finished your project and it works perfectly or the presentation went really well and you're sort of like, I did it, right? And God steps in in that moment of the tower is swaying and the stress is crushing you. And he gives you that completedness. He gives you that feeling, of, I'm done, and I'm just gonna take a nap, right? Because I don't have to carry it anymore. I'm gonna go on vacation because I I finished my I finished my project. And the righteousness of God, think of it this way, Paul's saying, I want to be found in Christ with the righteousness of God, because that feels like I'm on vacation compared to this stressful trying to keep it up for myself. Um, And that's what I want in my life, is to be found in Jesus with the righteousness of Christ. Um, And that's why Paul keeps going. Um, He says, That I may know him, that I may know Jesus, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I consider these other things, even good things, rubbish because they don't bring me into God's presence. Trying to find my righteousness in my job or my wife or my kids or my friends or even the good things that I do, it doesn't bring me into the, the presence of Jesus. Jesus. When I can come into the presence of Jesus, I receive the righteousness of God. And it is so good. Right? And I experience what life should be like. I experience the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and the, the life that God gives me changes how I view people. It changes how I interact with the world. I'm not try to explain what that feels like to me. And maybe it will connect with you a little bit. Um, But the life that is not resurrected, right, we know this uh, for followers of Jesus, right, that it leads to death, that it feels like death. Um, The life without Jesus is keeping score. Um, It's loving others, right, trying to do good, but it's a selfish motive, right? It's reflecting back on me that I'm great at loving other people. Um, And then other people become a burden and they become stressful, because you've got to keep loving them, and you've got to keep loving them, and they keep making demands on you. And pretty soon, the unresurrected life, people feel like death. Right? They go, like, oh, I've got to be with people, because they're just gonna, I have to keep loving them, and I have to keep giving and pouring out, and I just don't want to be around them anymore. I'm done. Don't want to do it. The unresurrected life, it actually ends up with good things being worse than rubbish. In a way, because at least rubbish could feed a dog. Right? It can feel like death. Good things can feel like death. And uh, when Jesus comes in, the way that I experience this is um, the life of resurrection is that all of a sudden, I'm just loved. Right? And instead of loving other people to get the feeling of love, oh, I'm loved already. Oh, I don't, I don't have to do anything for them to get something back. I have things that are good already. Oh, I'm just going to go talk to that person because I want to. Because <laughs> that's going to be good. And I, I have myself to give away to them. That sounds nice. I want to do that. I don't have to laugh. I don't have to laugh a fake laugh so that they think that I think that they're funny or like them. I can laugh with abandon and and love them with abandon. Um, Paul experiences the love of God that fills him up and he wants to know that resurrected life. And what that leads him to is a love that is a suffering love on behalf of other people. That's when he says, I want to share in Christ's sufferings. Jesus died on the cross Not because he liked suffering, but Jesus wanted to redeem all of humanity. And Paul is inviting this Philippian church to experience the resurrected life of Christ so that they can suffer on behalf of others and love other people. Love is a kind of suffering, and he wants that joy of resurrected life to, to be there so that they can live life to the fullest and suffer with Jesus. I think that's what he's talking about here. He's not making a list of things that they have to do or a list of things that Paul has to do. He's saying, I want to know Jesus. And in knowing Jesus, I know his resurrection and I know his sufferings. I'm becoming like him in his death. And the last thing that he says is to attain. right? He says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Because as good as it is to know the resurrected Christ, Paul knows that there's something better that's coming. Right? That, he, uh, that he's already got Jesus, but he knows that there's more coming. And he doesn't want to be turned away from that infinite worth for rubbish. Right? Even for good things, I would, I would say no to them so that I can know Jesus. I, I've been trying to help you uh, say, yeah, it is better. I want to know Jesus. But the reality is that, um, and the good news is that Jesus is breaking into your life and those places where you are holding on to things that um, for you are becoming rubbish, that he's, he's loosening your grip on those things. And inviting you to let go of them and to know him. So we're going to move into a time of of worship and a time of of communion. Um, And we're going to come to the communion table because it's a sign that Jesus died for us to know him. Um, The worship team can come up. Um, It's a sign for us of counting things as rubbish. Because Jesus died for us. So the application is um, what what we started with. To live a life of joy because we know Jesus. And God has given that to us. So use this time of worship. And your time throughout the week to to say yes to knowing Jesus. Let me pray for us. Thank you for saving us, Jesus. Thank you for turning us from death to life and giving us so many good things. Help us to receive them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.